wants it in every nation. It's a beautiful thing to have a God that um, is exalted. And um, our exaltation of him just proclaims where he already is. It doesn't place him in his proper place. We just acknowledge through our worship that he is where we're proclaiming that he is. That's a different disposition to be able to have that reality. You ought to give him one more hand praise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, welcome, welcome, welcome to our new roster of gatherings, um, 9, 11, and 1. And y'all scaring us a little bit in this gathering today because we hoping some people come to the next one. Um, <laughs> I mean, the elders looking at each other like, what's, what's happening right now? So, um, how many of y'all went to the 10 o'clock gathering? Used to go to the 10 o'clock. All right. How many of y'all used to go to the 12? Uh-huh. Okay, okay, okay. Well, well, praise the Lord for his goodness and his mercy. Now, if, if, if the 1 o'clock looks interesting, I'm going to ask some of y'all to go over there, okay? And um, bring some friends with you. But anyway, we are thankful for the greatness of God to have good problems. How many of you like it when God gives you a good problem? A good problem. Amen. It's a good problem. As I was talking to my staff and our volunteers um, this morning um, in the pastoral lounge, I was talking about really, you know, multiplying gatherings on Sunday morning isn't about flossing and about patting ourselves on the back, but it's about what I saw and meditating on and driving here today in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, where it talks about, and in those days, the numbers of the disciples were increasing. Um, that's what we want to see increase, discipleship of people, lives being changed, transformed, set free, and delivered and representing his reign. How many of that's your heart? How many of that's your heart today? How many of that's your heart? Amen. 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 That's what it's about. I want you to keep in mind, though, as we're gathering and increasing gatherings, if you could give a little bit more um, just so that we can be able to feed our um, those volunteers and staff who are here all day long. They, they serve from like 7 a.m. to like 4, uh, so more than a work day. So we want to be able uh, to give them like a continental breakfast every Sunday morning and to be able to feed them like a lunch because of the length of time that they uh, will be here. And so uh, as the Lord strengthens you financially, if you could just drop a little bit more in so that we can allocate that because we didn't budget for this. So, uh, and so we uh, ask you to be able to do that also. Um, the same thing with our Camp Hope. One of the things that we want to honor the Lord in is not turning one child away. And so this summer, as we, we're expanding to eight weeks, um, families want to send their children a lot longer. They've been asking for it. Uh, families around our city uh, who send their children to here are uh, here for, for camp. And so if you would sponsor a child, you and your family, or you're a single person, and, and you're a nice professional with some extra stackage, um, in mighty name of Jesus, give to Camp Hope so that we cannot turn one child away. Somebody should have said amen real loud right there. Amen, amen, amen. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet and let's get in this Bible. Um, we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, verses 16 through 21. I'm going to give you the opportunity to go ahead and start reading at the count of three. One, two, three, everybody. He got it, he got it.
Amen. Amen. Um, in our series, as we're trekking through 2 Corinthians, calling it, keeping it 100 today, we will be talking about in this text 100% reconciled. 100% reconciled. Let's go before the Lord. Father, it is our honor and privilege to gather to worship. It is a privilege to be transformed by the gospel. It is an honor to know God who created us and not know merely that you exist, but you belong to us and we belong to you. God, what an honor that is. And Lord, that, that, that facet of reality causes us to divine operations. And today, um, we are to operate based on your mindset and your way of thinking and your way of doing things. And so to become a believer, Lord God, means that everything is different in our lives and that we, we, we have no right to remain the same. And so, Lord God, help us listening to the word today to not merely have a disposition of wanting uh, to uh, uh, just, just hear fledgling uh, communication, but Lord God, hear transformative realities that can nestle itself in our soul that will change us for uh, this time and forevermore. Let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart, God, be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust and help us not to be uh, uh, hearers of the word only, deceiving ourselves, but help us to be effectual, effectual doers. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. One of the things about uh, having issues in relationships is that uh, relationships can be hard. How many of you, by show of hands, would say relationships can be hard? hard. You, have, you, you, you ever had somebody, you love them, but you say, I'm going to love you from a distance. You ever had somebody like that? You had somebody like that. I don't know how that works, but uh, I don't know if you just post a Facebook post, I love you, and that's how much far you go. Um, but uh, social media is your only interaction with them. Um, um, uh, in, in reality, in reality, being a Christian doesn't end relational conflict. Y'all should have said amen a little louder than that. I'm going to say that one more time because I think I, I didn't, uh, um, being a Christian doesn't remove relational conflict. Sometimes becoming a believer increases it. Because when you weren't a believer, you didn't know nothing was wrong. <laughs> but then when you become a believer, you say, oh, this is a mess. You understand what I'm saying? And, 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 when, you, and when you realize the mess, you go, I don't even know how I operated in this situation. In the first place. I mean, that's the reality of being a believer. The challenge, though, is, is that God doesn't give you the freedom to just acknowledge what's wrong with a relationship. <laughs> see, see, it's easy to say what's wrong with a relationship, but the question on the floor is not just do you know what's wrong with the relationship, but are you willing to deal with the breaches that are in the relationship? And so today, Paul is helping us to avoid two extremes, barricading ourselves in relationally where we create chasms so that we don't have to deal with nobody. That's number one. He doesn't, see, see, some of us, we, we, when we don't like somebody, we do stuff to irritate somebody to push them off further from us. That's not the gospel. But then there's the other side, which I call easy believism or uh, cheap grace, where you ignore the issues for an appearance of peace, but no practical disposition of crushing a beef. 
But neither one of those are the gospel, barricading yourself in to not deal with folk, or on the other side, kissing and smiling and then cussing about each other behind your back. See, biblically, the Bible calls for a deeper sense of community, a deeper sense of commitment, a deeper sense of reality, a deeper sense. See, you're not really real until you become a Christian. Real realness comes from being really changed by Jesus. When you're really changed by Jesus, you will know what keeping it 100 really means. And so we come to a passage in which Paul says, I'm not going to slight words with y'all, but I'm going to give you a robust theological idea that has, that has potent practical principles that can push you out for his glory. As a matter of fact, I'd like to park here for a little while so that we can see the power that God wants us to see as he proves this reality in this text. Paul himself, uh, the gospel globetrotter here again, is finding himself in a situation with his spiritual children in the faith. Um, His spiritual children in the faith not feeling him because some of his uh, commitment to them includes engaging them about what's wrong with them. And because they're too spiritually immature to properly respond to a rebuke, they go on hater raid. And what they begin to do is they begin to undercut his identity as an apostle. When they begin, because, they, because see, you have to change. When somebody challenges you, you have to change their identity so you can ignore the truth. And so what Paul does here, he says, let's read. The whole book is about him reestablishing his spiritual authority and his right in the gospel to rebukerize them. Amen. <laughs> and so here he says, I'm going to give you the fact that you can't run away from engaging me. Wow. Look, at, I, I, got, I got a few points, um, but this is rooted first in the idea of 2 Timothy. Don't turn there. Chapter 3, verse 3, where we find in our day today that this is a huge problem that goes into the last of the last days. But understand this, that in the last days or later times, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. Unappeasable can be translated, in the the, the NASB, it translated irreconcilable. In other words, people will create things that say we don't want to be together called irreconcilable differences. Now, that ain't nowhere in the Bible. Irreconcilable differences as a way for people to end their marriage. Anyway, it's just some fogginess that says we don't want to deal with our issues, so we'll create a fog called irreconcilable differences. Uh, um, um, and, and, so, and so what we find here is Paul is breaking the code of saying that, uh, um, that the gospel can reconcile anything. Okay. But in it reconciling anything, it's hard. And I'm going to get to that in a second. Let's go to the first point. Uh, um, if you're going to have 100% or reconcile, uh, understand 100% reconciled or reconciliation, you must first know that gospel reconciliation, gospel reconciliation impacts how we view Jesus and others. This is potent. <clears throat> now look at what Paul says in verse 16. He says, from now on. I'll stop right there. <laughs> I like that. He says, now, now that you're a believer, there should be some from now on in your life. Amen. Okay. In, in other words, when you become a believer, some things should stop. Yeah. Y'all not going to talk back. And some things should start. In other words, you, you, if you, you don't really know you're a believer until you have a from now on moment. Yeah. 
Because you got to get to a point as a believer where you're like, I I, I need a from now on moment that shows me that I'm not going to live under the deception of the flesh anymore. Now, 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 let me explain that. Look at what he says right here. He says, from now on, therefore, he, like there, he's using all kinds of stuff. These are transition words for my English professors. Um, you know, from now on, transition. But then he uses double transition language to talk about your transition. I like it. That means he's emphasizing how much you transition when you become a believer. In other words, he, he could have just said, therefore, he could have just said from now on. He could have said similar or moreover. He could have said in the place of, in short, in conclusion. No, he doubled it by both transition positions to let you know that your life has made a structural, positional, and practical and comprehensive transition when you name the name of Jesus. And, and, and as he looks at it, he says, we regard or value. The word means to appraise or, or, or hold close to your chest. That's what it means. We no longer regard no one according to the flesh. He said, before you became a believer, you made decisions based on fleshly inclination. In other words, when you become a believer, you should no longer do that. Now, I remember when the Lord showed me in college that Yvette was going to be my wife. Um, Don't come up to me afterwards asking, God, I mean, Pastor, how do I know? I don't know. Because I know... That's not what the sermon is about. I want you to come away with that. That's not what the sermon is about. Because I know you're past. I need a meeting because I want to. <laughs> it's an illustration of a bigger idea. Um, <laughs> so, I, I, and I was like, now, Lord, she, that's fine. She's fine. But she's not my type. And what I meant was, I, I, you know, back in the day, <laughs> you know, um, You know, back in the day, back in the day, I used to like me a gum popping, bamboo earring wearing, Agnes boots, tight jeans, halter top ministry, right? Yvette coming in godly, love the Lord. But see, I didn't know that's what I was saying, right? I mean, I said, she's fine, but she's not like what I'm used to. You know what I'm saying? Come on, you know, doing all like this and carrying on. I was used to that. You understand what I'm saying? Chewing like this with your mouth open, popping the gun. Cat, 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 cat. Just like that. See, I don't remember none of that. See, that's what I was used to, right? I was used to. And so I had a talk with, I was like, Lord, like, like, like yo, like, really? And Eva ended up telling me, you're not my type either. I was like, wow. You know, it like gutted me. It's like, dang. Ain't nobody ever say that to the E-Meister. Nobody ever said that. You know what I'm saying? And, um, oh, I did, anyway. Um, But what God was showing me is I'm going to put things and people and places in your life that upgrade your view of me. Wish I could just sit right there. But, but, But God, listen, listen, God is after you not looking at things with your eyes only. Matter of fact, Paul is not just talking about looking at things with your eyes. He's talking about looking at things with your flesh. Yeah. And, and, and we, we over and over and over again have made dumb decisions because of fleshly inclinations. But Paul says, listen, Paul says, listen, I, this is not like, this is not how we do things. Yeah. Christians look beyond and value the core 
principle, biblical, theological, Christological, soteriological, exegetical, expositional, biblical, theological reality of core Christian stuff in every area of your life. You're on a trajectory to see everything differently. And so he, he, he's, he's committed to you doing that even if it frustrates you. Because sometimes God, listen, sometimes God will make sure that he gives you what you don't like in the flesh to give you what you need in the spirit. And mm. <laughs> you, you need, you need and, it's gonna, and you're not going to realize. And see, don't, don't look at that as, man, I'll, see, most of us don't think anything is authentic in our like taste buds unless we like it in the flesh. Oh, man. See, we don't think real like is spiritual. We think in order to like something, we have to fleshly like it and ask the spirit to catch up. I I, I didn't mean to spend too much time. But, But the kingdom doesn't work like that. The kingdom is backwards to the flesh. And so, therefore, God does spirit stuff, then shows you the physical. Because, listen, when you know what's inside of the car and you have a nice interior, you don't really, you, you, because you're riding in it most of the time, you can enjoy the inside and you forget about the outside. Even though you know there's an outside, you can appreciate the outside because you've been all through the inside. Oh, I got to move. He said, we're God, no one according to the flesh. So what is he talking about? Leaders. He, Paul says, y'all like fly leaders. He said, y'all like people that preach themselves, promote themselves. He's communicating to the uh, Corinthians about what they, they have a spiritual disposition that's based on, <coughs> this is crazy, that's based on, it, 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 it blows my mind. <laughs> In other words, they have a spiritual disposition that wants leaders who nurture their fleshly fantasies. <coughs> and that's why the Bible says in later time, People won't endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And so Paul is fighting against that already and helping them to do that. Now, look at what he says next, family. <laughs> he says, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though, listen, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. <laughs> the way you view everything is rooted in how you view Jesus. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, you can't fix the flesh with the flesh. That's why John says that which is of flesh is flesh, but that which is of spirit is spirit. So you don't fix flesh with spirit, I mean with flesh, you fix the flesh with the spirit. So therefore, your root transitional reality only can be viewed from Christ. Now, what does it mean to view Christ according to the flesh? It, it, it means Paul pointing back to his pre-conversion uh, state, looking at Christ from a, a, a non-respective perspective, but he's talking to Christians. So therefore, contextually, that you can be a Christian and view Christ fleshly. Okay. <laughs> Let me see if I can make it plain. If the only time you can say amen, help me, when it's about providing for you financially, <laughs> Or doing something in the physical realm for you, you view Christ as a cosmic genie versus a Christological change agent. There's a difference between the two. In other words, I want God to change around me but not in me. 
And so, and so, and so when you're, when you, when, so, so when you regard Christ according to the flesh, all you want him to do is change stuff, not you. So, so, so when you, listen, to be a Christian is to wrestle with being changed. Somebody should have ran right there. I'm just telling you right now, it's, it's, to, it's, it's, to, it's to always be in transition that God going to confront your flesh. That's what being a believer is. It's not this punk reality of this fly-by-night beauty Christianity of rolling in a, in, in, in a, in a, in a field and, 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 and you and Jesus meet like this and all of that. Sometimes Jesus coming at you like that. See, we, we, want, we, want, we want the Jesus that, that's on some, some picture with some lambs around him and him going like that. Looking all soft. We don't want the Jesus with the flaming eyes and the burnished brass ankles and the, and the linen ephod with the golden bulletproof vessel. on. You don't want that one. You don't want the dude that was up in the temple turning over tables with a whip in his hand, tearing people. You, he's the same person. Don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. We, 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 when you regard Christ according to the flesh, you create your own Jesus. It's an idol. We say God is love, and you swim in that. Yes. See, you, you don't recognize what love is because love whips you, not just does for you what you want. See, 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 many of us in our mind have an idol. It's not the real Jesus. Paul's confronting their view of Jesus. When your view of Jesus is confronted, your view of everything is confronted. So, so Paul is challenging. He said, we regard him like that no longer, though. Right. He's talking to believers inclusively of saying that's not how we roll. Amen. We view everything that Jesus. That's why the Bible says when you go to make disciples, you teach them everything. Amen. See, the problem with some preachers, they teach some things. Amen. But you got to teach it all. I like the way the old churches say, preach it all, Reverend, preach it all. I used to like that. <laughs> that means everything, everything that God has for me, even if it's hard stuff, I want it. Because all of it going to make me look like the Lord God through Jesus Christ. I got to keep going. Uh, gospel in 100% reconciliation or reconcile. <coughs> Next point. Gospel reconciliation frees us to operate differently. Now, check, now, now, now this is powerful. Look at what he said. Now, we've always viewed this passage anthropomorphically or from a human perspective. But I want us to see this verse Christologically. Now look at what it says. Therefore, if anyone is, where? He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Is it becoming new or has it come? Good translation. Great translation. Great translation of this reality. Now most of us, reductionistically view this passage, including myself, as the center of it being self-renewal. In other words, I'm new now. This is good. I'm a new creation. Hallelujah. Praise God. But that's not the center of the text. The center of this text is a short prepositional phrase that sums up the excellencies of why things are made new. If any man beware, oh, that's the most beautiful doctrine in the world. 
hold on, hold on, hold on. Y'all got to pause for a second and let me just talk about him for a second. Because let me say, explain something to you. Being in Christ is the great doctrine uh, 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 that's called union with Christ. It's a great doctrine. The, the doctrine of union with Jesus is one of the most foundational yet flaming doctrines that helps the believer to know who they are. But the issue is, is being in Christ is not just knowing who you are, because that's not enough. You got to know where you are. See, being in Christ is about knowing where you're located, because where you're located changes how you act. Let me see if I can make it plain. I remember when I would go over my grandmama's house, she had a living room that didn't get used much. Now, I know most of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. But man, nobody don't do this no more. But they used to wrap the furniture. <laughs> in plastic. And even though I, I never, ever understood that. I mean, I don't know if you ever sat in that in an Easter suit after a Sunday morning. <laughs> Feel like you in a sauna up on that thing. Everything's sticking to you. You got shorts on in the summer. It's just pulling on you. Um, <clears throat> but what's interesting is when you were in grandmama's living room, there was a certain way you acted because of where you were located. Now, you can go in the backyard and do what you want. But when you're in the living room, your disposition must change because your location engages your activity. See, all I'm trying to tell you today is when you're in Christ, you're now covered like that couch. And because you're in Christ, your location tells you something totally different based on your operation. And it's not constriction, but it's freedom. I love the way one writer talks about John Owen's view of the doctrine of the union of Christ. Listen to what he says. He said, Owen believes that all the benefits of redemption flow from the believer's union with Christ. He said, union with Christ, Owen writes, is the cause of all other graces that we are made partakers of. They are all communicated to us by virtue of our union with Christ. Hence, our adoption, our justification, our sanctification, our fruitfulness, our perseverance, our resurrection, our glory is all wrapped up in, in connection with our union with Christ. He says, union with Christ, therefore, is the all-encompassing doctrinal rubric that embraces all of the elements of redemption. So being in Christ is the mechanism by which God funnels all heaven's blessings through him. Only if you're in his locale do you get the benefits of salvation. And so, and so therefore, it's the idea when Jesus describes himself. Uh, uh, in Revelation, he keeps telling the seven churches different things that he is. Uh, one, of, one of my favorites that, that, that John calls him, John calls him uh, uh, the key of David. I like that because if he's a key, that means he unlocks something. And, and, and because he unlocks some stuff, the only way to experience the stuff that he unlocks is to be in him. And so when Paul in his letters uses this euphemism to talk about, I mean, I wish I had time to talk about the Pauline semantic domains in the dictionary of Paul and his letters to talk about the existential realities and the theological and the spiritual realities of what it means to be in Christ. But all I know it means to be in Christ is to be covered by him. In Christ, 
You are recreated. David, in his sin, prophetically wished. Lord, create in me a clean, clean heart and renew the right spirit. He, it was almost David said, if it was, I feel so bad about my sin. I wish it was possible for you to give me a brand new heart. Is it possible, God? And the Holy Spirit was using him to give him a prophetic nudge of the beauty of things to come in Jesus. Because ultimately in Jesus Christ, he would create in you a clean heart. He would renew the right spirit in you. He would make you brand new. And right here, we see David's prophetic wish coming to reality in Christ. That's why Jesus can say, Abe and Moses, all them cats look forward to the day I came. Because they had to wrap, they had to wrestle with redemption-less redemption. They only could look forward to, but now we get to live in. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. In other words, all operational realities have dissolved. Behold, all things have become new. Now we're in a new disposition in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he gives us the foundation. Now he about to sucker punch us with why he was giving us all that rich doctrine. I love the way Paul does that. He'll, give you, he'll have you saying amen until you, he said, I got you now. He'll say, I got you now. So watch what he does. Gospel reconciliation is the primary ministry of the church. Uh-oh. <coughs> the primary ministry of the church is gospel reconciliation. Look at what it says. All this is from God. What? All that he just said. God didn't, we didn't trigger our salvation. God did. So you weren't looking for him. He was looking for you. He wasn't lost. You were. All of this is from God. All of the workings of salvation, giving us the faith, giving us the ability to see the gospel, the the ability to confess the gospel, the ability to be transformed by the gospel is all under the hand of the living God. All of this is from God. Boom. He nurtures that into this multivitamin pill and drops a gospel bomb. He says, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, said, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So God in Christ sent. Now you gotta understand. Let, let's see this. This we don't. We we stop at verse seventeen. But you gotta understand. All of us. Adam was our federal head. He sinned. His sin DNA came to all of us. Not only is our nature sin, but we practice sin in concert with our nature. One sin is enough for God to pour out all of His wrath on us. I want you to feel this. Um, um, one sin is enough. Just being born itself is enough. Being born in sin is enough for God to pour the full throttle of his wrath out on us. But God did something different. God was able to hold his peace on us. Even though he had an eternal gat in his hand, fully loaded with a full metal jacket with the sniper or uh, the scope on every one of our souls for eternally gunning us down. For every single sin, it fills up the cup of wrath. More sin, more wrath grows. But God is compassionate, full of loving kindness, blessing sons and daughters from the second to the third generation. And so what he does at the same time is he holds back his right, his holy right, 
His right, he has a right. I don't know where you think you are. God has a right to kill you forever. He has the right, but, 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 but he, he's not just wrath. He's not just love. He's not just holiness. He's not just justice. He's also grace. He's also mercy. But however, his wrath has to be satisfied, but his grace can say, put a yield sign before God. Jesus' death on the cross yielded the wrath of God so that and stopped it so that it could be poured fully out on him. Now, why is that important? Because God has every right to destroy us. But he held it back to send Jesus to reconcile us. There's the bullseye. Who in your life do you need to reconcile with? No amens on that part. If God could move, because we're not fully righteous in our functionality of every day. We're imputed with Christ. Right? God is fully righteous. If he can pursue reconciliation with us, with all the issues he has with us, what's wrong with us? He said, and he's given to us the ministry, wow, of reconciliation. <clears throat> Let me tell you something. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I've had relationships that have been strained. And I remember when God was specifically talking to me about people I needed to reconcile with. And I didn't like it, if I'm straight up. I was like, God was like, I need you to go handle that. I was like, I ain't feeling it. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm honest with God when I talk to him. Psalm 62, 8, pour out your heart before the Lord. I'm honest without being disrespectful. So I said, God, I ain't really feeling reconciliation. And God's like, I don't care what you're feeling. <laughs> so until you make a motion towards reconciliation, I'm going to lean on you. I'm going to lean on you. I'm going, I'm going to lean up against your soul and make you uncomfortable. Now, see, that's how you know you're a Christian. See, y'all ain't talking back to me. You know you're a Christian when God says, all right, you're going to do you? I'm going to do me. Now, I'm bigger. I'm bigger than you. So I'm going to put you up in this terrifying submission hole. In your heart, not in your body, because the soul, when, I, when, I, when you get hit in the soul, it's 10 million times more painful than the flesh because the soul is the real you. And the nerve endings of your soul, based on the conviction of the spirit, is hardy. Help me, God. And so what he'll do is he headlocked me, armbarred me, and rear naked choked me, and triangle choked me all at the same time. And he said, you're going to tell me, I'm like, God, I, ain't, I don't feel it. He said, well, I'm going to tighten it up. And, and what's funny about the Holy Ghost is you try to run, and it is almost like your running makes it tighter. You know what I'm saying? You know, and so you're trying to surf the web. You're trying to go shopping. You're trying to have fun. And you can't have fun because the Holy Ghost is like, yak cow on you. You ever had a yak cow from the Holy Ghost with, where the Holy Ghost just holding you, and he won't let you do anything? And you're like, okay. Okay, God. And I remember setting up this reconciliation meeting and trying to sit down, feeling frustrated with the whole situation and pursuing 
doing, they're doing all that I need to do on my end. I, God says, when you go in here, it's not about the other people. It's about you obeying me. Don't worry about the response. You go in and you obey me. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to roll in here. You know I'm not feeling this whole situation, but I'm going to be obedient because I'm sick of this headlock. <laughs> Went in, it was a thunderstorm, sought reconciliation, frustration, held back words I hadn't said in years. Yeah, I'm just being real. Wrestled and fought. Reconciliation didn't happen, but the headlock ended. Because God said, you did what you were supposed to do. You can't worry about their response. That's what the Bible says, as far as it depends on you. Because see, there's no peace like God sent peace. <laughs> and so we've given the, that means some of you are going to have to face some people that you hate. Now, y'all looking at me funny like you don't hate nobody. But many of us in the room are the haters. We're not the hated on. Some of you got some people in your life that hurt you beyond repair. Matter of fact, the thought of them takes you to a place. Y'all not going to be real with me today. It's okay. First service was. Because let me, let me tell you why. Because God, listen, because God is about your holiness, even when you're uncomfortable. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. And see, see what he's going to do is he's going he gonna to push you. Now, the, the issue is not them. See, if you think about them, you're not going to reconcile. I'm just telling you. When you think about your hatred for them, how much they hurt you, how much they frustrate you, how much they did to you, you ain't trying to get with them. As a matter of fact, when you see them, it's, it's almost like a demonic boiling system just hits you like this. Huh? I just want to kill them, God. You know, I mean, just that disposition. And, 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 and what happens to you is when you sit on that, it calls what Hebrews calls the root of bitterness. And it sprouts up and becomes the rooting tree for everything in your life. And then now you're not operating on being in Christ, but you're operating on being in anger with them. And so the rubric for your life is impressing people that aren't looking at you anyway. The rubric of your life is exalt me, God, so I can put them on blast. Show them I was right. Well, Y'all not going to talk back. Uh, in, other words, in other words, your life is now motivated by your bitterness, your unforgiveness, and your anger, and Christ is no longer the center, but how you feel about them. And the only way you feel good about yourself is knowing that they feel bad about where you are. And it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with you walking in gospel holiness. Everything. And so if somebody raped you, molested you, abused you, abandoned you, engage them. Engage them. You have no right, even though you're sinned against, you're sinned against them. Their sin against you is in 
is light years far away from how you sinned against God. Until you believe your sin stinks too, you'll never reconcile with anybody. It's all right. It can get quiet, but you're going to have to deal with it. And this is my prayer. I pray that the Holy Ghost leans into you like a boxer about to get knocked out to, to tear your soul apart until you be obedient to walk in holiness and face your bitterness, face your anger, face your fearfulness of this. And guess what? You're going to find the greatest amount of freedom. That's why Paul, in saying this, Paul, in saying this, he says, he said, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. <laughs> and entrusting, entrusting doesn't mean God trusts you. That's, that, that's not what that means. Entrusting means appointed duty. Reconciliation is your appointed duty, and he has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Wow. So the only way you could, you got to put the, let's, okay, let me give you some practical things with this. This is what you got to do. In order to reconcile, there have to be like three elements, three main elements. I'll be out your way, I promise. Can I give them to you? Three main elements. Number one, you both have to acknowledge the breaches you have between each other. Because... A hug and a Facebook post doesn't mean reconciliation. Y'all not going to talk back. It's okay. Reconciliation is saying this has been an issue. And dealing and at, at, at acknowledging the sins. And number two, repentance of the sin. That means you have to agree with God and embrace that reality because there can be no reconciliation without repentance. That's false peace. But that means you, there has to be, own, and sometimes you got to own stuff you ain't do. It's in the text. He made him who knew no sin. Sometimes, I ain't do that. I, 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 see, you, you're not going to, see, see. It's always about you. It's, it's no, no, that is not, I'm telling you, that's a breach. Some of y'all need a mediator. Let the mediator point that out. Oh, this is real practical. You can't point out stuff that creates a greater breach. You got to let somebody that's in between y'all say it. You got to have an objective participant that's on neither one of your sides to stand between you to help you to broker reconciliation. <laughs> and that means you may hear some stuff that you totally disagree with and the person viewed you hyper-falsely. You that wasn't my intention, but will you please forgive me? You don't know what that can do for reconciliation. It wasn't my intention, but if Jesus could take on sins that he didn't commit, You can't verbally communicate that you didn't mean to sin against someone. Jesus didn't do none of it. He lived a perfect life and took on all our sins and died. Yes. And you can't admit 
something that you don't feel like you were wrong of, that they feel like you were wrong of in order to bring reconciliation, that's not the gospel. I'm going to close. And he says, so that, this is the reason why we do that, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? Whenever we reconcile and fight for reconciliation, whether it happens or not, we're held up as a trophy of righteousness. Whenever you reconcile with someone or fight for reconciliation, if it happens or if it doesn't happen, God holds you up as a trophy of what righteousness in him looks like. Because at the center of the gospel is bringing two opposing sides together that should not be together. I'm, I'm closing. <laughs> I, was, I, I was watching a cooking show when they had this oil and vinegar situation. <clears throat> that well, You ever seen oil and vinegar and they just move around each other? They don't really mix with each other. They, they just slide across each other. I don't feel like you. You don't feel like me. They, I mean, they really don't like each other, oil and vinegar. They, I don't like you either. You don't like me. I don't like you. They never mix. And so the culinary scientists took an egg, cracked the egg, put it in the mix, stirred it up, and oil and vinegar couldn't help it anymore. They had to unite because the egg was present. And the egg, what the egg does on the molecular level is it grabs the oil and says, come here. It grabs the vinegar, says, come here. Let's get together. And the only way they coexist is because the presence of a foreign agent that brings them together. The way reconciliation happens is only because Jesus is in the midst. When you reconcile with somebody, you can't have your, if your feelings isn't all that other stuff, that will keep oil and vinegar hitting each other. But if you let Christ, who is the eternal emulsifier, get in the middle, he pulls together the unpulled togetherable. So my prayer for you today, I know I, I would have loved to have the organ on today. But this is not an organ ending message. This is a message where you, you know who you got a beef with in your heart. You already know who they were when I said the name of the sermon. And my prayer for you is that you will accept the charge of the appointed, anointed duty. Everybody want to be anointed when it make them look good. Use the anointing for this. Reconciliation. Father, we thank you. We honor you. Lift you up. Uh, the reality of... <coughs> the reality of... Uh, reconciliation is the most flesh-pushing device for us because we have to deal with the reality of us. And God, one of the biggest issues in our life of reconciliation is our reconciliation to you. Hardest thing to do to bring these two people together, God and man, but in Christ, you do it by faith in what Christ has done. You poured your wrath on him, 
instead of us. We believe in him. We're reconciled, missing out on your wrath, but being in on your holiness, your righteousness, your joy, and your peace. Maybe you're here today and you've never placed your faith.